This is a community fight in a way that we've never seen before. A week of records. Cases are up. Fatalities are down. You know the media fixates on cases, um, but the best indicator is the emergency room visits. The clash over COVID. We're watching all of this hour by hour. 95% of our current patients that are here are unvaccinated. There's nothing that we could do about those people. No, no science is going to convince them. I'm the governor who protects parents and their ability to make the right choices for their kids' education. School mask mandates now qualify as harassment. Governor and the Department of Education now have expanded the scope of what bullying means to just fit their narrative. The debate over recovering kids' faces. Can't pick and choose and play with people's lives and play games with rulemaking. When it comes to the health and well-being of students and our teachers, Politics should not be a consideration. All live this week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael. I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin today with the growing clash over COVID, the numbers, the protocols, and the way out of this pandemic. With COVID case numbers in Florida breaking daily records, you may be hearing mixed messages this week. Some hospitals report surging capacity and overwhelmed staff, and some report manageable COVID caseloads and expectations that the spike will soon reverse. The prime factor driving the spike is the Delta variant in cases you've heard and more contagious, they say, than the chickenpox. Hospitals say that well over 90% of their new COVID patients are unvaccinated. With political debate driving ways, a policy debate in large part, we turn now to someone at the crossroads of politics and healthcare, Shane Strum, the new president and CEO of Broward Health Systems since February, and before that, chief of staff to Governor Ron DeSantis. Shane, it is so good to have you on the program. Shane, good morning. Good morning. We are, we are so glad to see you. Uh, first of all, give us a status report at Broward North. Uh, how is your health system doing? Are you jammed with COVID cases or simply very busy? How, what is the situation? Absolutely. Uh, Broward Health is doing really well at this point in time. We're prepared. We've flexed and used our surge plans, but they're not necessary at this point in time. A lot of the numbers you're hearing out there this morning, and like every morning and every afternoon, we look at the census, we watch it, monitor it. Currently, there are 275 COVID positive patients here at Broward Health. That's a small number when you look at the grand scale of the overall beds that we have. About 75% of our patients are back, and it's kind of one of those funny stories. We've been pushing and educating the public because they've been away for so long and pushing off cases, whether it's for critical heart care, for oncology, for peds. Yeah. They're now returning, and at that same time, we now have about 75% of the, our patient beds are full of people who need to be here for those surgeries right. and procedures. And, and Shane, of the 275 COVID cases, how many of those people are unvaccinated? Actually, believe it or not, 95% uh, of the patients wow. that we have today, almost 96% are unvaccinated. So let's put some perspective and some context on that because you're telling a story that we hear, you, you were part of a round table this week with the governor and, and the CEOs from Safety Net Hospitals. And we hear this very, very similar story from all the safety nets. Uh, more overwhelmingly, people who have these COVID cases in ICU are unvaccinated. Uh, resources that are holding and preparations in place just in case. 
But then, Shane, we hear from other hospitals, um, private hospital systems, that they are overwhelmed, that they're having problems with resources and staffing. Is there a difference between public and private? What, what's the disconnect there? Absolutely. So you've got some of the greatest safety net hospitals here in our backyard in South Florida. We're on the phone with each of the CEOs every day, whether it's the Memorial Healthcare System, which is a safety net run by Aurelio Fernandez, Carlos Magoya at Jackson, Gina Centuria at Mount Sinai. As safety net hospital systems, one, we're always planning and always being prepared. Regardless of one's ability to pay, we take care of them. So we're always here and always prepared. We've been ready. Look, we've been fighting this battle, fighting COVID for over 18 months. Are nurses tired? Are they fatigued? Absolutely. Nurses, physicians, respiratory therapists, but they're working hard every day to ensure that patient safety is key, number one. But we are prepared. If the private hospitals are having issues, I'm sure they'll reach out to us and ask for some assistance. Typically, the for-profits are a little smaller. They don't have the same size, scopes, and expertise. We're also level one trauma, which means those people are prepared 24-7 for whatever emergency situation arrives. So here you are in a, I mean, you, you are known as what you did before with the governor. You're close to the governor. You drove uh, a lot of the policy making prior to January. We were in COVID back then. This is a very different COVID spike than we saw last year. And it, it didn't have to happen by all accounts because of the people who choose to be unvaccinated. So you were in a place where you could actually have the ear of those people. And I just want to go on record as saying, we keep inviting people to talk about that uh, hesitancy, to talk about hesitancy for vaccine, even masks and parrots. And we have not been able to get anyone to come on and talk about that personally. So, so you're the kind of person who has the ear of people who are skeptical like that. What is the message that you have? Well, I think that the main message is education. I think it's critically important that we make sure that everybody understands the importance of the vaccinations and the importance of masks. It's a personal choice, personal freedom. Uh, but you know, if you take a look at the county, they've done an amazing job. I mean, they've gone from 68 to 73% of the population vaccinated. And that's because a lot of it, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on here in Broward County, they're all pushing. I know that uh, Mayor Geller reached out to me the other day just to check on our hospital system to make sure that we were doing well. We were able to talk about the numbers increasing. There's a lot of concern out there because the school year starting, our private schools go back this week, public schools go back the 18th on a Wednesday. Our pediatricians are working around the clock right now to help parents uh, and teachers and the school system make sure that they're prepared and ready so they're educating. We're talking about vaccines and masks, but the silver lining is you have seen with the surge and ever uh, an overall increase in those that are getting vaccinations. Yeah, uh, Shane, uh, earlier this week, or I should say late this week, um, our reporter Andrew Perez was speaking to your chief medical officer, Dr. Lechus, I believe is his name. And boy, he had something piquant and sharp to say about people who are waiting to get a, a shot. Let's hear what he had to say. At this point, there's still the people that are anti-vaccine. There's uh, frankly, there's nothing that we could do about those people. No, no science is gonna convince them. There are some people that aren't getting the vaccine because they're waiting for more data. And then he went on to say four and a half billion people around the world have already gotten a, a shot. And, you know, it has saved many, many lives, countless lives. So uh, there is, you know, your guy on the front line saying, get a shot. Absolutely. I think you're hearing most physicians, most people in the industry that work in healthcare are asking or providing or sharing or talking about why, uh, what's the efficacy of the shots? And I can tell you, just look at a number. You asked us those questions a little bit earlier on the show. 95% of those that are unvaccinated are the ones that are here seeking that critical help. 
Those that have been vaccinated that unfortunately end up here have a shorter length of stay. They're here for only a few days. And then after that, the ones that haven't been vaccinated are here for many more days. Another great example is if one is vaccinated, um, look, it, it happens. You, you, you could be, you get COVID twice, which is unfortunate. Uh, but if you do get in here quickly, one thing that we've changed is uh, we have monoclonal antibodies and the physicians now on the front line when they're seeing you can write a prescription right away to actually put you in quickly. So it's an infusion, it's about an hour long and then they watch you for an hour. And we're seeing tremendous results within 24 to 48 hours. Of those who present, so if you go out and get tested and you're positive or you are out at home, you're not feeling it scratchy, cold throats, chills, you should also come in and immediately see a physician. So a couple of weeks ago, we had, and this week, uh, we spoke to, again, the CEO of Jackson. You mentioned Carlos Magoya. Uh, he was telling us that his staff at the hospital, and we're talking staff across the board, it's a, it's a community on its own, thousands of people, um, were at one point, barely half of the staff was vaccinated. I think they're up to about 60% now, and the effort at Jackson is strong. How many of your people, medical and non-medical staff, are vaccinated at Broward Health? And, and is there, you know, Carlos Magoya uh, this week announced that he, it was going to be a mandate for staff at Jackson to be vaccinated with consequences attached. So what's the percentage like at Broward Health and do you see that in your future too? Absolutely. So we've been working on the front line since the surge a couple of weeks ago. We've seen the resurgence of COVID. We've been educating not just our staff, but we've been uh, really trying to, you know, share our message and education with the community. So you have seen an increase. Really, the silver lining in all of this is we were probably in the high 40s less than a week or two ago. We're now close to 60% vaccinated. So we're running about the same as uh, Carlos McGoy at Jackson. And so the second part of that question before we hit break, um, do you foresee, like Jackson, there might be a mandate for your staff coming, a mandate for vaccinations with consequences attached at some point? His comes on August 23rd. Yeah, is his August 23rd or September 23rd? He might mandate it, but it gives him about a six-week runway. I know that we're having discussions here. There's people in the community. So we get calls from the business community, from our elected officials, uh, from, from all sorts of walks of life that want to know what we're going to be doing. So our physicians, our nurses, our clinicians have been having those ongoing conversations. So I'm sure there'll be more to hear on that topic. Are you in favor of any mandate or are you going to, you, you are not going the mandate route? So actually the mask mandate has been in effect here at Broward Health since the beginning. So if you're in the four walls of the hospital, you're required to wear a mask while you're here, whether you're a patient or a, a staff or an employee. All right, well, we have more questions for Shane Strum, President and CEO of Broward Health, when we come back. We are talking with Shane Strum, the President and CEO of Broward North. And Shane, uh, needless to say, you knew, know so well the toll that this has taken treating COVID patients on your doctors, your nurses, your respiratory therapists, everybody who has to do with these patients is just tremendous. You know, holding up a cell phone to somebody so they can have a FaceTime goodbye with their family. I mean, it's just unspeakable, the, the pressures these people are under. So what are you doing for your staff to try to help them emotionally, mentally through this? Well, Michael, I can't appreciate, I really thank you for asking that question. It's a great one. So, you know, the, the troops on the front line, these healthcare warriors that you just spoke about, they've been working relentlessly, tirelessly for the last 18 months. 
know, the one thing is that they know the playbook. They've been here before, but as you said, they're exhausted and they're tired and they're fatigued. So what we're trying to do is we're bringing in additional staff to help alleviate that. Some of it uh, are people in different departments. We're trying to figure out shift changes to allow for more time. Uh, we definitely want them to have their downtime. We have so many of our nurses, and I'm telling you, these nurses have leaned in harder than anyone I've ever met. I've walked the floors and done rounds and gone to the hospitals, and I can tell you, they're still upbeat because really they care about the patient. And what you know, we've, we've encouraged them to go home, but we're trying to do breaks. We're trying to find things that we can do. We've got a lot of support and helpful people in the community that want to step up and do more. Uh, but what really we're trying to do is help them with staffing. That is the most critical issue at this time for our nurses. Jane, I wanted to ask you something that I heard in the roundtable. It was almost an offhand comment that really piqued my interest about what's going on in the UK right now. Uh, our second COVID spike was very steep and very fast. Uh, looks like we are not at the peak yet. I know that everyone's projecting maybe around August 23rd or thereabouts. So I went and looked into what's happening in the UK and they're, they're over their peak and their cases are coming down. And a lot of people are baffled by that because no, none of the metrics have changed. So all of a sudden, it's a, it's a positive trend that's raising eyebrows. To you, I, and I hate to put you on the spot if, if you don't know, so my apologies, but I'm so curious about what is going on in the UK and is it, is it a message that we might learn from? It, it might be. It's something that we constantly track. I can tell you our physicians and scientists are constantly looking at what are some of the other places doing, what happens with climate, what happens at time of year, where are we at this point in time. One thing I can share with you is it's much more contagious, but it doesn't seem to be as deadly. Uh, what we are seeing also is the people that are coming in uh, that have been vaccinated seem to get out a little bit quicker. And like you said, we are anticipating the same dates that you mentioned, hopefully around in another 14 to 21 days will have peaked. I'll, I'll tell you this, we watch and monitor the census every day. For the last four days, our census has remained the same in the 270s. So that's a positive sign. Hopefully we're there. And is the census holding in the vaccinated, unvaccinated um, ratios that you had mentioned? Is it, does it, is it the same? Uh, the question was, are they holding the same as compared to last time? The ratios that you're seeing in the past month the um, more overwhelmingly, and but for a few people are unvaccinated. Does that ratio hold? That holds, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Shane Strum, uh, President, CEO of Broward North. Great to speak with you, and we hope to have you back on our program in the not too distant future. Thanks, Shane. Oh, my pleasure. Thank Thanks you so for much. having me. Thank, oh, thank you. you both. Have a good one. Thanks for getting our message out. <laughs> All right, great. Up next, the plan to fight COVID-19 in Miami-Dade has a new leader. It's someone you may recognize. Jared Moskowitz is live with us right after the break. The fight against COVID-19 in Miami-Dade is getting a new general battle-tested. He previously won many battles as the Secretary of the Division of Emergency Management. Jared Moskowitz held that very high-profile job in the DeSantis administration, and now Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava has named him as a special advisor on all things COVID-19 in Miami-Dade. Jared Moskowitz joining us now live from Parkland in your new role, and we <laughs> always appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Jared. Great to see you again. Uh, Good morning, guys. Give us your job description. What is it that uh, Mayor Levine Cava has told you she wants you to do? 
Well, first, thanks for having me again. Good to see my old friend Shane in his new role. He's doing a great job there uh, at, uh, at Broward Health. Uh, we're lucky to have him here in Broward County. Uh, the mayor has been very clear. You know, she wants me to take what worked at the state uh, when we were doing mitigation measures there at the Division of Emergency Management when I was director and make sure that the plan in Miami-Dade County is solid. They've been doing a great job in Miami-Dade County uh, with vaccinations. They're one of the most vaccinated counties. It's why, quite frankly, their numbers in the hospitals are not as bad as some of the other counties where uh, vaccination numbers lag. So, you know, my job is to make sure that we leave no stone unturned uh, we, uh, and we use the strategies that worked at the state and the strategies that didn't work, we make sure that we're not doing those and wasting uh, resources. All right, so here comes the challenge the narrative reporter question um, because we know Mayor Daniela is nothing but collaborative. She has a slew of people that she has been, uh, her experts, she calls them, that she checks in with, uh, uses their advice. What has this county not done? What don't we know? after all of these weeks that you're gonna be addressing? Yeah, so I think what you've seen lately, uh, what the county is doing now and what they're gonna to continue to do is they're expanding testing. Look, there are three tools in the toolbox. Tool number one is get vaccinated, right? And the county's done a great job at that. There's still a vaccines readily available if you wanna get vaccinated in Miami-Dade County and across the rest of the state, quite frankly, you can get yourself vaccinated. But the testing apparatus had gone uh, away. And so Dade County has been uh, resetting up the testing apparatus. And that's the second tool in the toolbox, which is uh, identification of cases so that people can isolate. Uh, and the third tool in the toolbox is obviously masks. So uh, we're focusing on making sure that people can get tested, they can get results quickly, uh, because we know obviously, you know, in, in the old days when you got results five, six days later, that didn't help. So turning results around within 36 hours uh, sometimes even shorter is extremely important so that people can prevent the spread. Yeah, uh, Jared, let me ask you about yet another aspect that you may be involved in, which is tracing people who have uh, COVID-19. Uh, we have a colleague here at Local 10 News who had been vaccinated, but she had a breakthrough case of COVID. And she told me this week, nobody from the State Department of Health, nobody from Miami-Dade County, where she lives, had ever contacted her asked her about the course of the disease, uh, <clears throat> whether she was getting better. Uh, it seems like a tremendous oversight. Uh, does that bother you? No, look, that's a fair question. So the truth is we saw this uh, at the state level as well, that uh, at some point in time, the virus is spreading so fast that contact tracing is behind uh, and you can't catch up. And that is definitely the case with Delta. Uh, and so quite frankly, it, 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 it is, you know, hundreds of times more transmissible than previous strains. And so uh, contact tracing while it's still going on on a limited basis, uh, especially if in schools and things of that nature or, or camps that were existing, uh, I know the Department of Health will, will do that in schools and we're doing it in camps and we're doing it in large groups and large settings. But individual contact tracing, uh, you know, the virus is just spreading so fast that it's difficult to keep up. So a lot yeah. of people do that individually. Right, they call the people who they were around, and we're seeing that personal responsibility sometimes even works faster than someone uh, calling and asking questions. In fact, a lot of the times we saw when people were calling and asking questions, the folks that uh, were had COVID-19 didn't either remember or didn't give honest answers. So personal contact tracing we're finding has worked a lot better. You know, we have been out at some of those testing sites. Tropical Park is one of them. Uh, that's also a vaccine site. 
and it's so remarkable to see that the lines for testing literally have stretched five, six, seven hours. And right next door, not even next door, right across the lawn are vaccination points that are all but empty. Yeah. Might there be some sort, I, I can't even imagine at this point, we've all collectively been talking about this, the messaging, you can't convince someone who is unconvincible and we respect everyone's decisions, but with the evidence and what we've seen, is there some effort of changing the message, finding a message, doing some sort of campaign to unearth the vaccine hesitant and, and turn that tide? Yeah, Maricopa and the County Commission now have 25 testing sites and they're continuing to increase you know, so, you know, people uh, will see that coming to their neighborhood and it'll become more and more accessible. And I know uh, the folks at the county are focused on that. You know, on vaccination hesitancy, listen, at, you know, Dade County at one point was doing, you know, uh, tens of thousands of vaccines a day. And now we're, now we're down to about 2,000 vaccines a day. And that's not just Dade County, uh, that's everywhere else. But listen, the county focused tremendously uh, on messaging early on, still are. They have an aggressive messaging campaign uh, starting with the mayor, the county commissioners, uh, and and the companies that are engaged in all of the messaging, nonprofits, hospitals, you name it. I mean, they did all sorts of church events in specific neighborhoods. They knocked on hundreds of thousands of doors early on months ago, ever before Joe Biden, you know, came up with that idea. We were doing that in Dade County four months ago. Uh, and so, you know, they've had a very aggressive, uh, you know, vaccination campaign, and it's paid off. That's why the numbers in Dade County are not the same as they were a year ago uh, when Dade County was the number one county for COVID uh, you know, uh, in the state. Uh, our hospitalizations in Dade County are also lower proportionally than some of our neighboring counties because of the aggressive uh, campaign. But look, the vaccination debate is a national debate. Um, you know, I often think to myself, did people forget that Donald Trump invented the vaccine and took credit for the vaccine and you know, his whole family took the vaccine? Uh, I, I think a lot of people have forgotten that. We don't hear that anymore uh, because uh, just of the politics of the vaccine. And then quite frankly, some folks on my side of the aisle uh, in the previous administration were telling people not to get the vaccine. So this has been a unfortunate convoluted you know, political issue, just like everything else that happened with COVID. It started with masks, which was stupid. Uh, and, then it, and then it went over to, to the vaccine. I mean, if, if, if the politics of today existed during polio, this interview would be about polio because we'd still be fighting about it. Yeah. Well, well there, there's I, the soundbite today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm certainly old enough. I remember when, you know, Dr. Salk invented the polio vaccine and I got it. And it was just one of the huge moments of my boyhood to be able to be free of it and, uh, and not be threatened. Uh, uh, Jared, let me ask you about this. As you know, Miami-Dade County has 29,000 employees, the biggest workforce uh, in Miami-Dade County, I guess, besides the public schools. And August 16th, the mayor has said all of them are going to be tested for COVID weekly unless they can show proof of vaccination. Is that kind of an end run around the governor's executive order? Yeah, I don't think it's an end run around the governor uh, at all. I mean, look, we're trying to work in a collaborative way with the state. The mayor is, the county commission is, and the whole county is. At the end of the day, I think, again, going back to the three tools in the toolbox, that's just exercising tool number two, which is, listen, we want everyone to get vaccinated. We're pushing for people to get vaccinated. But look, it's a medical decision on your own if you want to get vaccinated. So for the folks that aren't vaccinated, 
we got to make sure that they're not spreading COVID in the building. So they're going to have to submit to mandatory testing. I think that's smart, quite frankly. And I think uh, I don't look at an end around of government policies. I look at it as a good solution to stopping the spread of COVID, which is for the people who are not vaccinated, let's just make sure you're negative. Uh, testing, quite frankly, is the one area that didn't become political. Uh, people, you know, if they weren't feeling well, they wanted to know if they had COVID or not. And so uh, I think it's a very smart uh, solution. Uh, and I think other counties uh, should uh, be looking at similar policies. And so let's just point out that in your new role, you still have the same Twitter feed and right there at the top, you've changed your name to Maskowitz and it's still there. And, <laughs> and so Jared, it's always great to have you with us and please do stay in touch as, uh, as this job unfolds. We're glad Thanks, you guys. are on the job in Miami-Dade. Thank you very much. Thank you. And coming up next, the State Board of Education imposed three new rules this week on school districts. Miami-Dade Superintendent joins us live next. As we have been talking about, the patients who have COVID in the hospital right now are much different than we've seen in the last round of the pandemic. How true? Dozens of kids are hospitalized in South Florida right now with COVID, and some are on ventilators. Local 10's Parker Branton is live in Hollywood to tell us more about that. Branton. Michael, Florida leading the nation in COVID positive patients and the number of children we are seeing just keeps on rising. Medical experts say the average age of those children infected with the virus is 12. Joe DiMaggio Children's in Hollywood is seeing some of those cases recently reporting seven patients positive with COVID-19. Two of them, they say, being treated in the pediatric ICU. Nicholas Children's as well also seeing some of those cases on Friday. They reported 23 pediatric inpatients with COVID-19, including seven in the ICU. The hospital says none of those patients were vaccinated. A vaccine mandate is in order at Nicholas Hospital. Hospital employees, including doctors, nurses, students, and others, have until October 15th to be fully vaccinated with those who complete their inoculation by the deadline, those employees will actually get $150. The hospital saying if you do not have a qualified exemption, you could face termination of employment. Now, medical experts do say while they are seeing a rising number of cases among children, that death is still uncommon with those children who are infected with this virus. And in order to combat the rising number of cases, Nicholas Hospital says that they are offering vaccinations to kids 12, ages 12 to adults to 21. They say no appointment is needed if you want a vaccine. Glenna. Parker, we appreciate that. Thanks so much. And you know, two weeks or fewer before school starts in Dade and Broward counties, emergency rules set Friday by the Florida Board of Education became the latest salvos in the clash over masking. Their new rule says that a parent who doesn't want his or her child to wear a mask at school can opt out if the masks are required. And if they are required, that parent can complain of harassment and then ask for a HOPE scholarship voucher to enroll their kid in a private school. It's one more complication just as classes are set to begin. Alberto Carvalho is the superintendent of Miami-Dade Public Schools. He joins us live. Alberto, good afternoon. Hello. Great to see you. Good afternoon, Glenn and Michael. Great to be with you again. All right, so if you would give us your timetable. We have been told 
that you and the Miami-Dade School District are looking at your mask policy. You're going to be consulting with your experts. How far away are you from a decision? Uh, we're not far at all. I mean, let's recognize, number one, that Miami-Dade finds itself in a privileged position as far as timing. Uh, we are the last school in the state uh, to start this school year. Uh, we don't uh, begin uh, the 21-22 school year until August 23rd. Uh, Broward and Palm Beach uh, open one uh, to two weeks prior to Miami-Dade. Two-thirds of the school systems in the state uh, actually open tomorrow. So our decision is not going to be rushed. Our decision is going to be based on science and the expert advice of our health uh, medical uh, expert task force, which will meet on August 16th. With that said, Michael and Glenna, I think it is fair to say that uh, with the release of the governor's executive order, followed then by two emergency rules by the Department of Education and the Department of Health, uh, the, uh, the options available to us have been greatly reduced. With that said, I am the eternal hopeful in this community, and we hope to negotiate a set of protocols and protective measures that guarantee two things that I don't believe are mutually exclusive. Number one, the health and well-being and the protective uh, school environment side by side with some degree of qualified parental choice. So by, by reducing your options, of course, you mean there are financial penalties mm -hmm. if you do not follow the order. But you, you're, you're a science teacher, right? That was your beginnings. You're a science teacher. You My training was in biomedical sciences. Okay, so you have also, um, you talk about a task force. You've been, the district has been consulting, the board's been consulting with experts. What don't you know about the science? I mean, the science is there, right? The science right. for the decision is there. So. So is the holdup that you're considering the financial penalties and trying to manage around it? Because really, there's no, there is no doubt what the answer should be, I'm guessing, and I'm sorry, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the science is the science. Absolutely, Glenna. Uh, and that's why I've said time and time again, I repeated it just this morning, we have been a system that's uh, absolutely advised and uh, directed and oriented by scientific principles and medical expertise. <coughs> rather than political pronouncements. And I'm one who continues to urge our community uh, to pay less attention to loud, disconnected voices that are devoid of reason and continue to embrace the advice of those who actually have the best interests of students uh, at, uh, at heart on the basis of medical uh, expertise. Yeah. Uh, this is less about Alberto's personal uh, opinion. It's about following a process. And even though I've declared my position, I think second to vaccines, masks are uh, the best uh, protective measure for students and professionals, particularly as they re-enter the school environment. But it is prudent uh, to follow the process and hear from the experts, the foremost experts in these matters in our community prior to moving forward. And by the way, uh, we will be making a decision in terms of timing well in advance of the timeline that Broward, Palm Beach and other districts have made their decisions. So we're simply following the process. We are blessed with the fact that we have additional days on the calendar prior to the very first day of school. Yeah, uh, if I may, Alberto, I, I need to ask you about these two monumental, in my view, policy changes that came on Friday from the State Board of Education and from the State Department of Health. You alluded to them earlier. Um, and I wanna ask you logistically, how is this gonna work? Since the Department of Health says that a parent has the right to, well, first of all, the school district has the right to put masks, make them mask mandatory, but the parents, well, we lost your picture for a second. Let's try and get it back. Hope the superintendent can hear me. Um, 
if you can, I'm going to go ahead with the question. Uh, can, have we lost the superintendent? Okay, well, let's take a, a break here and we will reestablish contact with Superintendent Alberto Carvalho. Stay with us. We are working to reestablish contact with Miami-Dade School Superintendent Alberto Carvalho. We'll get back to him if we can, but in the meantime, let's move on. As of yesterday, more than 10 million Floridians had completed their, uh, their shot, their regimen of shots. You know, one shot of Moderna or J&J &J or two shots of Pfizer. So that makes, what, about half of Floridians vaccinated in Miami-Dade a top 70%, but there's still a significant mm -hmm. amount of people that have chosen not to get the vaccine. And until very recently, Miami Lakes Mayor Manny Seed was one of those. And Mayor Seed now joins us. Uh, he is an old friend. Manny, it's great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Is that a longtime friend or an old friend? <laughs> Hi, Mayor. Well, well, well I have known good Mayor Seed. Glad I could see you, Michael. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, we're, we're very glad you're here. All right, well, we invited you because we have said, even earlier in this program, that we have been trying to find somebody who had been reluctant, hesitant to get a shot, and you were, and then you got one. So go through the process. What made you decide that you should get the shot? Well, I, I, I was definitely very hesitant. I mean, as we know, uh, it's under emergency approval from the FDA. I, I know the FDA is working very diligently right now to, to approve, to have full approval, which I think is gonna make a major difference. I know we've seen the polls, uh, over 50% of the folks that are hesitant said that full FDA approval will make a big difference. Uh, but for me, it was simple. I spoke to my doctor, I spoke to local nurses, uh, ER doctors here locally, I mean, I'm pharmacists, you name it. And that really helped with my decision. Um, and that's something I encourage everybody to do. Talk to your doctor, talk to local doctors, local nurses, and, and, I, and I can tell you that's something that gave me confidence in why I, I move forward. So that's really interesting to hear because essentially what you're saying is, I went out and got medical and scientific information. Mm -hmm. But, Mayor, I am here to tell you, we speak to people all the time whose decisions are not based on medicine or science. And again, I want everyone to be very clear that we respect everybody's decisions here. That said, we are hearing decisions based on conspiracy, based on misinformation, based on disinformation that is so entrenched, it remains months later right now. Do you have any way, have you thought, have you met anyone who you, who you think can be swayed, who has not been yet, and if so, how? Well, that, that's why I shared my story. Uh, I can tell you, sharing my story helped many folks. I, the amount of phone calls that I've got that, that people said, Mayor, thank you very much, uh, was incredible. I know at least a handful of people that got their vaccine right after I got mine and right after I shared my story. So that's why I went ahead and, and, and did that. It's, it's definitely a personal decision, but I highly recommend talk to your doctor, reach out to the local uh, nurses, the pharmacists, ER doctors. Uh, but yeah, I, I hear it all the time. I know a lot of folks and listen, it's, it's not a party issue. It's not one party or another. I know folks from all walks of life who are incredibly hesitant. Uh, but what changed my mind was talking to the people that I trust, my local doctors, my neighbors that are nurses, 
and, and that's something I helped out a lot. But yeah, uh, sharing my story, I know for a fact, has already changed the minds of, yeah. of several people. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you that question, Mr. Mayor. Have people come up to you, called you, and said, gee, I was hesitant, I wasn't going to get it, but then I heard that you got the shot, that you had done this investigation, and now I'm getting one too. Have you heard that? I, I have, I have, and that's that's something I know the, the folks in my community trust me. Uh, I know that, you know, I could have got the shot and, and not said anything and just stay quiet about it, but I had people reach out to me and, and, and talk to me about why they're hesitant. So I said, you know what, I need to put my story out there. And I can tell you, I know at least a handful of people who got their shot right after I shared my story and reached out to me and thanked me. So I, I highly recommend more and more elected officials, more and more community leaders uh, go out there, you know, encourage folks, talk to them, but also have, be empathetic because I think it's very important to understand that it's okay to be hesitant. You know, folks are, are, are hesitant, but at the same time, encourage them to talk to their doctor, talk to their neighbors that are nurses, talk to for their local pharmacists, people that they trust. And I can tell you that will change a lot of the hesitancy in, in our community. Excuse, did, I, I'm sorry if I missed it, but you, you said you, you changed your mind because you got medical information, but did you say, did I miss you saying why you were so hesitant? What, what were your reasons? Well, look, uh, I was exposed from, from the get-go. I, I never quarantined and, and from the beginning because I was out in the community helping uh, people from day one. So I'm 37 years old, I'm relatively healthy. Uh, I know at the beginning, the entire focus was on our senior population to get vaccinated. Uh, once it became available to, to my age group, one of the things that I did too was check my antibodies. Uh, I talked to my doctor, he said, you know what, Manny, you need go check your antibodies, we'll make a decision after that. I, I checked my antibody levels, I had no antibodies. So I said, you know what, this Delta variant's coming out, let me talk to a couple nurses in my community, let me talk to the, to the pharmacists in my community. Um, and they all told me the same thing, definitely get the vaccine. If you have no antibodies at all, if you have uh, no protection, this Delta variant is is no joke. Um, and that's that's why I made the decision. But I, yeah, I, I was definitely uh, hesitant, like like our many, many Floridians. We know that half of Floridians haven't gotten vaccinated. Uh, but that's something I, I highly encourage. Go sit down with the people that you trust. A lot of times there's folks uh, all over the place giving their opinions. But I, I get to everybody, you know, zone zone out the noise and talk to the folks that you trust, which is your personal doctor. Yeah, well, that <clears throat> that's certainly good advice. Uh, you know, you hold a nonpartisan job. Uh, it is not Democrat or Republican, although I believe you are registered as a Republican. Good for you. Uh, you know, the polls seem to indicate that more Republicans have been hesitant and have made not getting a shot a kind of a political issue. I mean, you clearly said, no, it's not, it's science, it's not politics here. Well, we, we know it's not a political issue. So uh, vaccine hesitancy, I mean, when you look at the numbers in the Hispanic community nationally, when you look at the numbers of the African community, African-American community nationally, I mean, you see those numbers a lot lower, uh, sometimes lower than 50% throughout our nation. So vaccine hesitancy uh, uh, cuts through uh, different, uh, be it Republican, independents, Democrats. So to me, it's really not uh, one party or the other that that, that is hesitant. I mean, I, you've seen national uh, folks on the national level uh, kind of start vaccine hesitancy. I remember during the presidential uh, uh, debate when now 
Vice President uh, Kamala Harris, you know, talked about, hey, if Donald Trump says to get the vaccine, I'm, I'm not going to get it. And we see other Republicans nationally talking about that. But you know what? For, forget about the national noise. Talk to the people that you trust, which is your local doctors, your local pharmacists, your local nurses. But it is not, uh, vaccine hesitancy is not a, a partisan issue. It's one uh, that we see the numbers throughout the nation, be it Democrat, Republicans, or independents. But it is very, very important to talk to the folks that you trust cut through that noise don't don't log on to social media to get that information but get it directly from your doctor your nurses your pharmacist and i think that's extremely important and as much as we take a hit here sometimes from people in local media i think we have all of those things right there on our website as well manny seed it was great to have you and hear your message and we appreciate you being with us today thank you mayor thank you very much great to see you all and have a good day thank you you as well all right, we're going to come back and reconnect with Superintendent Carvalho in just a minute. All right, we have reestablished contact, and there he is, Superintendent Alberto Carvalho. Alberto, very briefly, the question I was asking you is, under this new policy, a parent who doesn't want his child to wear masks can opt out. Now, that child could still go to a Miami-Dade County public school. Where are you going to put that child? I mean, are you going to have classes with kids in masks and a few who are not wearing masks? How's that work? Good question, Michael. Uh, but no, that's not a plausible or acceptable answer. In fact, the same executive order and emer emergency rule that you referenced precludes districts uh, from practices that would isolate or segregate that child apart from the general student population. And that is the case in a single classroom or different classrooms throughout uh, the, the entire uh, school building. So that's not a viable option. Look, I, I think this whole issue about uh, masks, um, quite frankly, has the potential to undermine uh, or at least hide uh, the greater imperative for our community, which is what uh, Mayor Sid uh, addressed, which is the rapid vaccination of all eligible individuals. Our community may very well be poised to be the first large urban center in America to reach herd immunity uh, with uh, vaccination levels exceeding 70% at this point. We need to continue uh, putting pressure to ensure that that momentum is not lost. As far as the school year, Michael and Glenna, look, August 23rd, 100% of our schools will be open. There will be excitement in the air and we have no time to waste to accelerate every single student towards their full potential. And that is exactly what we are focusing our attention on right now. And, and that said, and of course, we are all behind you and all the students on that effort, but the masks really are an issue right now, largely because of what's coming out of Tallahassee. The Board of Education also instituted a few other rules. One of them, to your point, was to make sure that students who are not in the classroom for probably that reason uh, have a whole other way of getting that kind of education. Um, apologies, we have a minute left. Is, is there... The board will be meeting on Wednesday. I'm sure all of this will be part of that discussion. Absolutely. Uh, so we have two important meetings coming up. Number one, a necessary, indispensable conversation uh, with our school board. And secondly, uh, the health and public health uh, uh, task force will be meeting on August 16th. And I can assure you that uh, shortly after that, 
uh, we'll be very clear about the expectations and the protocols we'll have in place for Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Superintendent, we thank you for your time and we thank you for joining you. us and everybody rocking and rolling with us here today <laughs> on This Week in South Florida. Remember, we are online 24-7 at local10.com. It is live television. It's exciting. <laughs> We're glad that you are with us. Remember, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.